The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to the evangelist Mark, as recorded in chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Then they went into Capernaum. On the next Sabbath day, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who has authority and not as the experts in the law. Just then there was a man with an unclean spirit in their synagogue. It cried out, What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked the spirit, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit threw the man into convulsions, and after crying out with a loud voice, it came out of him. Everyone was so amazed that they began to discuss this with each other. They said, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He even commands the unclean spirits, and they obeyed him. News about him spread quickly through all the region of Galilee. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Imagine if you had a pastor who Sunday after Sunday, his sermons were on things like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? What color carpet the law of God demands that our church has? When you should plant your gardens and mow your grass? The experts in the law really were no experts in God's law. They were busy voicing human opinions of how many steps you could walk on the Sabbath without breaking the Sabbath day, for example. And so we're told, as Jesus came to this synagogue, that they were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who has authority and not as the experts in the law. Jesus was not giving mere human speculation and human opinions. And of course, we know Jesus is the word of God who took on human flesh. So we're going to do a double thing with our title. We're going to focus on the word, his inspired word, the Bible, while focusing on him, the word of God. So our sermon theme for today is the word of the Lord has all authority. Now, our text begins, it says they went into Capernaum. And actually, the inspired Greek has a, a little a word that's left out. And straight away on the next Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who has authority and not as the experts in the law. I just want to point out that when Jesus came into town, he didn't dilly-dally about going to the synagogue, about hearing the word of God. While Jesus is the spokesman for the Trinity, he did everything perfectly that we are supposed to do in our place. And that included hearing the word of God. Now, it was a custom then that if you had a, a famous rabbi show up, you invited him to preach the sermon. And so he did. And the people were amazed. Jesus kept the will of God and he showed perfect reverence for the word of God in our place. And when he taught the word of God, he didn't teach human opinions. He taught the word of God. And because he is God, every time he spoke, he would be teaching the word of God. First John, the first epistle of John, chapter one, verses one through seven, tell us of Jesus, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have observed in our hands have touched regarding the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it. We testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We are proclaiming what we have seen and heard also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write these things to you so that our joy may be complete. 
This is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, but still walk in the darkness, we are lying and do not put the truth in practice. But if we walk in the light, just as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So the word of God who took on human flesh to save us is, in fact, the spokesman for the Trinity. He never spoke something that contradicted the will of God. Whatever he spoke was God's will, was God's law. And so, as the spokesman for the Trinity, he spoke with authority because he always spoke the word of God. Whenever Jesus, especially was teaching the word, Jesus never lied. Whenever Jesus was teaching the word, there was always that authority. Imagine the comfort of being told your sins are forgiven and going, I know with certainty my sins are forgiven. The experts in the law weren't experts in the law. They were experts in nitpicking. They were actually Pharisees. Experts in silly things that did not save you. And they had turned the law into a work you did to earn salvation. The truth of the matter is, if you could keep the law perfectly as it demands, you would be saved because you would be holy until you quit keeping it perfectly. But once you've broken it once, you're damned to hell. There's no making up for it because you're supposed to do it perfectly 100% of the time. And Jesus is the true expert in God's law. And recall at times the Pharisees and the experts in the law uh, would chew him out for doing things like healing on the Sabbath. Jesus didn't break the law. The law is God's holy will. It never changes. But Jesus pointed out to them, for example, when they would condemn him for healing on the Sabbath, they had missed the whole intent of the law. As is summarized, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Healing on the Sabbath was loving the neighbor. So Jesus is the true expert in God's law, and we have to remember that because we are not. We're human beings, and at times we will place that law as a means of salvation. We'll have opinions and, and, and nitpick over things that God has won perfect freedom for us. We also see that Jesus is the true expert in God's mercy, grace, love, and compassion. What we call the gospel, the good news that God became a man because we cannot keep the law. So for roughly 33 years, he kept the law perfectly for us and has credited you with his perfect obedience. And to remove your and my sin and the punishment our sins earned us, he went to that cross and he bore the punishment for us. He truly understand and is the expert in God's grace. We're not. It just happens too much today with Christians that we say, well, this is the sin that I love, and so God has to accept me with my sin as if God is not holy. Jesus understood the law and the good news of salvation in him, in Christ, the gospel. And the two are diametrically opposed. One, for you and I who are sinners, says to all of us, you are damned to hell. And the other says you are God's beloved child. The two only make sense with the God-man hanging on the cross, crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Saying, it is finished. When Jesus spoke, he did not speak human opinions. He spoke the word of God, and so he spoke with all authority. Now our text continues. It says, at verse 23, just then there was a man with an unclean spirit in the synagogue. It cried out, What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked the spirit, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit threw the man into convulsions, and after crying out with a loud voice, it came out of him. 
Now, I want to focus on the authority Jesus had over this evil spirit. But before I do that, I want to point out a few things. Look at how irrational Satan and his minions are. Do not get me wrong. They're more powerful than you and I. Because in our natural condition, without Christ, without the Holy Spirit living in our hearts, we are slaves to the devil. They are smarter than you and I. The devil and his demons have been observing human behavior since God created Adam and Eve. Yet the devil was foolish enough to rebel against God, thinking he could destroy or enslave his own creator. And look at how foolish this demon is. I'm going to tell you, if there was somebody who could throw a beating on me and beat me really good physically, just would come after me by their very presence and just kick the stuffing out of me, if I saw them come in, I would exit the room quietly. I would quickly get out of there if I knew a beating was coming. Jesus is God is holy. Demons are completely unholy. The two cannot be in each other's presence. And guess who's going to destroy the one or the other? So you would think this demon would be smart and sneak out of there. Instead, he announces his presence to Jesus. Yes, the devil is smart and he's powerful. He's smarter than us. He's very highly irrational. And it's a comfort for us because Jesus is true God, the spokesman of the Trinity, which means he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and once again in a state of exaltation, he's present everywhere. The other sad thing I want to point out is, Again, remember how the people were amazed at his authority. He wasn't teaching human opinions. How sad it is that that demon felt quite comfortable in that synagogue until Jesus showed up. That tells you the word of God was not being taught in its truth and purity, was it? But see then how the demon, once it reveals itself, and I think Jesus knew it was there anyway, so I've got to be careful I say that. See how the demon had to immediately submit to Jesus? Jesus rebuked the spirit saying, be quiet, come out of him. And what happens? The unclean spirit threw the man into convulsions and after crying out with a loud voice, it came out of him. Jesus, as the spokesman for the Trinity, as true God, has all of God's authority. There is nothing in creation that is not subject to him. He could speak a word to the devil and the devil would have to obey. He spoke a word to one of the devil's under minions, if you will, to a demon, and the demon shrieked and came out of the man. This is the authority that Jesus has as God. He has the word right, and as God, he has all of the godly authority, all that godly power, all that godly knowledge, all that godly presence. So the word of the Lord has all authority. Jesus spoke God's will, not human opinions. Jesus spoke with God's authority because he is God. But then we're told in verse 27, everyone was so amazed that they began to discuss this with each other. They said, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He even commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. Now, the disciples would command unclean spirits and they would obey them, but they obeyed them because they had the word of the Lord. And there were times they could not exercise a demon. And Jesus said, this one comes out with prayer. But in Jesus' case, he would tell them and they would go. The people then say, not just focusing on the authority that we've already been focusing on, but they ask, is this a new teaching? The teaching Jesus had was not new at all. In fact, it was promised to Adam and Eve after the fall into sin. Genesis 3, verse 15. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will crush his heel. From the time Adam and Eve fell into sin, before then they were saved, they were holy. 
From the time they fell into sin until this very day, salvation has always been in the scripture that God would take on human flesh. He would be perfect for you and I in our place and he would take the punishment for us. That is clearly spelled out in the scriptures. So James chapter 1 verse 17 when they said, is this a new teaching? James chapter 1 verse 17 says, every good act of giving and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the lights who does not change or shift like a shadow. On a day when there's not a cloud in the sky, get yourself a nice folding chair and sit next to a fence post out in the middle of Wyoming where you're not going to have buildings blocking and everything. Watch that shadow. As the earth rotates around the sun all day, that shadow just moves. It's a comfort for you and I to know this is not a new teaching. It wasn't that God was going along and saying, you know, there's some people like that guy, that Saul down there. They're doing a really good job of keeping my law. They're saved. And then suddenly go, you know what? This isn't working out. There's only a few people who can do it. We'll turn around and make this by my son. No, it's always been that we are saved by God taking on human flesh. And that's a comfort because 10 years from now, we don't have to worry God turn around saying, you know, this whole by grace thing, it's not working out. Let's. Let's add a few extra works. You've got you to climb Mount Everest with your head shaved the right way. Not going to happen. When God promised salvation, he does not change. He means it. Now, we have to recognize, though, that lots of times we're not so good at identifying that. Lots of times we think we've heard a new teaching and we haven't. When I was new to the ministry, more than one experienced pastor told me, you will run into people who will say the first time they've heard the good news of salvation in Christ was from you. And some of them, having been lifelong members of that church, had heard it from every pastor before you. Our sinful nature is a little Pharisee, isn't it? Our sinful nature can turn around and say, yep, you're saved by Jesus Christ 100%. Oh, and by the way, make sure you put enough offering in the plate. Oh, and by the way, make sure that you sit in the right place. Just add any human condition. Our sinful nature is really good at not hearing what God's word has to say. Sometimes our sinful nature can refuse to hear the law. This is the thing I love doing. and My neighbor struggles with this sin and I don't. So I'll condemn them instead of applying God's grace. As we covered in, in, our, in our catechism lesson today with, in adult Bible study. There's always been Christians who turn around and say, God is love, he's freed me from the law, and act as if his holiness, which the law tells us, no longer applies. I'm going to tell you, many years ago, I'd been pastor here two, three years, and, and we used to send out mailers to, to invite people to Easter and Christmas. And uh, since then, we've, we've developed a prospect list instead that we send out. But I'd had a 90-some-year-old woman respond to that. And I don't want to get into too many details or, or reveal any confidences, but... The first time I came, she was not raised in a Lutheran church, had never been to a Lutheran church in her life. And the first time I visited with her and was sharing with her and applying John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. In the denomination she was raised in, she had always been raised basically, do your best and God will do the rest. There's a Pharisee in her like there is in you and me who over and over again heard that there was an amount of salvation she had to earn. And over and over again, I would come and visit her and we'd go over and over and she'd be so frustrated. She'd say, I teach Sunday school. Why haven't I heard this? Now, I'm pretty confident that she had heard it. Probably heard it watered down. I'm pretty confident there were times she heard it and her own sinful nature, like yours and mine, that Pharisee wouldn't let her hear it. But it's also pretty sad that a 90-year-old woman growing up again in a different denomination had always been told what she had told me. 
that salvation was kind of a mixture. Jesus does his part and you do your part. And it was sad, but it was, I was thankful that I was able to work to overcome that, to constantly reapply the word, that good news of salvation, John 3.16, as she struggled with it. Jesus was not teaching something new, but our sinful nature can be a Pharisee and our sinful nature can quickly forget God's grace. It's sad when we refuse to hear God's grace and mercy. It's even sadder when we refuse to be motivated by it, motivate our neighbor by it, and apply it. Jesus' teaching was not something new. It was always the plan of salvation. It's always what has saved mankind. So we see the word of the Lord has all authority. Jesus spoke God's will, not human opinions, because he's God. And Jesus spoke with God's authority, with all the power of God, because he's God. And Jesus was not teaching something new. This was always how we were saved. This was always how God treats human beings. And so we want to apply that to ourselves. And when we apply that to ourselves, we have to think of the priesthood of all believers, which the Apostle Peter spells out in his first epistle. And he tells us we're not only bricks that make the temple of the Lord, hence the invisible church. We are priests that serve it. Priests got to proclaim forgiveness. They got to be God's intercessor. You're a priest. When Jesus had risen, he appears to his disciples and he breathes on them. And tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. Whatever they bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever they loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When we bind something on earth, we're proclaiming the law. God's law always damns us. It always points out our sin. Even if we're believers, there's your sin again. We've got to be careful if we're going to harbor a petty grudge. If we refuse to forgive our neighbor as we have been forgiven. How dare we withhold what we've been given? Because it's a privilege we have to show our neighbor their sin. We have to, and we want our neighbor to show us our sin. Not in a pharisaical way, not in a browbeating way, so that we can repent of them. But what a wonderful privilege to have the loosing key. To turn to the person to your right and left. To turn to the person behind you. To turn to your neighbor and say, the blood of Christ has removed your sin. There's no, there's no you have to do this and that. It's gone. God the Father has seen to it that he remembers it no more. That is a correct applying of the word, but we have to know the law and we have to know the gospel to be able to do that. Now, we have a special function of the priesthood of all believers. It really got ironed out in the Reformation that we call the pastoral ministry. And it could be easy for us in our sinful nature to think of pastor as our life coach. And obviously in small churches, it's, you know, we can ask him to do secretarial duties and stuff, but it's amazing how quickly we forget what we call the pastor, the under-shepherd to be to, and do. We've called him to teach the word of God. If you think the seminary in four years and the four years of our pre-seminary are going to teach the entire word of God and the guy's going to get it down perfectly, you have not been reading the scriptures. The apostles constantly had to be reminded, both of the law and of God's grace. And so we have to remember that to teach and preach that word of God, the foremost function, apply it to us, that pastor needs to be studying the word of God. Oh. But not just studying it for Bible study to teach it, not just studying it to apply it to you in the sermon. Now, Jesus said, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. You think the devil hasn't figured out that if he can scandalize the the, the under-shepherd in a church, the pastor, that it's going to cause problems in the church? The devil attacks the pastor and his family hard. If we don't make sure that the pastor is spending time doing his own devotions. I've had plenty of brothers in Christ admit to me 
that there were too many times where the pressures put on them, the, the, the demands meant that they cut their own devotional life. And after all, isn't it easy to think, well, he's studying the Word of God for Bible study. They need to apply that to themselves to fend off the devil. So we empower full-time shepherds to study the Word of God, and then we come to hear that Word of God, and guess what? If there's a conflict, if, if the congregation's divided against itself, something's going on over a silly thing like what color our carpet should be, or over a more serious thing about souls, whoever has the Word of God right, and that may not always be the pastor, whoever has the Word of God right is the one who has the authority of all the Word of God. And when you show somebody their sin, Jesus is talking through you. He's using you to show them their sin. And when you apply the blood of Christ to them, Jesus is using you to remove their sin. So for you and I, this is why you are here this morning hearing the Word of God. This is why we come to Bible study. This is why we spend a few minutes, three to five minutes every day, reading something like Meditations. Because when we get the Word right, we want to get it out. And it's a comfort to know when we have that word right, we have all the authority of Jesus himself standing behind us of the word of God so that it is powerful and effective. As we've seen today, the word of the Lord has all authority. Jesus spoke God's will, not human opinions. Jesus spoke with God's authority because he is true God and has all the power. Jesus was not teaching something new. This has been the plan for salvation and it's been taught to human beings since Adam and Eve fell into sin. And whoever is correctly applying and teaching the word of God has his authority. Amen. To him who's able to keep us from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord. Before all ages, both now and forevermore. Amen.